Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. That was, yeah, I, I must say I, I dealt with Ricoeur a little bit on Freud. And of course, what he, he uh, the, the thing is critique of Freud. Uh, and I, uh, and of course, the same critique could be made of Lacan, is that that in a Freudian picture of desire, or what Lacan will call jouissance, uh, the, of course, what uh, Lacan and Zizek, and they all want to in some way uh, sing, distinguish between um, the the you know a, a, an evil desire evil jouissance, or to state it in, in the discussion that we're having now. In other words, what we're describing is that civilization arises or society arises uh, not you know, in pursuit of some ideal, but in fact out of evil, out of uh, evil desire, uh, out of you know, what uh, Schilling, will, will, Schilling will call the rotary motion of the drives, uh, that goodness is a byproduct then. Uh, and, and in a sense, Freud gives us the anatomy of that, uh, that his own theory is a kind of proof of that. that uh, and, and of course, what Ricoeur is saying, yeah, but it's never clear uh, that desire itself or that human desire is ever distinguishable. That is good desire, evil desire that in some way the anatomy of the human situation is, is one in which evil continually breaks through and is the, 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 the reigning presupposition. Well, this is, I mean, this is a, a argument that happens in Girardian circles too. Um, you know, on, on the whole, Girard's account of desire and of mimesis is negative, right? Um, but there's there are whole schools of Girardians who talk about positive mimesis, uh, for, forms of imitation and the pursuit of desire that aren't um, destructive and um, predicated on the scapegoat mechanism and, and you know all the different pieces of Girardian theory, but um, but are, are are constructive and and positive and good, and um, it, it it seems to me from within a, a, a theological frame um, that almost has to be affirmed as the case, right? The desire for God, um, the, the desire to know, um, all, all the, now these, these desires are different than desire in the way that Freud means it or desire in the, even in the way that Girard tends to mean it, but they are desires. And, um, and so I think there has to be a theological intervention in order to um, not simply conclude with with uh, with Freud that, uh, as you just you just described, that that evil is somehow the basic situation. And that, uh, and, and of course, this is the uh, that when we're talking about culture, then to reduce cultural culture down to uh, its evolution as we might conceive it 
in some way we have to, to recognize, and maybe we have to start at the other end of this, that the implication of the incarnation is that culture and language are adequate uh, as a medium to convey goodness, truth, and deity. Uh, while it may not be inherently the case that, that uh, you know, that culture per se or language per se uh, gives us truth, nonetheless, it has to be an adequate medium. There, that is, it cannot be inherently flawed. That, there, that in, in some sense, culture itself, uh, we have to uh, assign it uh, its origins not to simply a human construct, uh, but to a divine beginning. Is that too strong? Well, to be honest, I'm not interested in, in origin stories for culture. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's ultimately my frustration with, with psychoanalytic approaches or even with some ethnic or anthropological approaches is that um, the question of the origin of culture is still the organizing question. But I, but I think it, it can, um, that can occlude the, the, the more pressing problem, um, which is that if, if culture is not defined normatively, but is, def, is defined empirically and, and, and is thereby simply a set of meanings and values organizing a shared way of life, um, then all of the projects of, of human inquiry uh, have to be mediated across these hugely diverse matrices of meaning and value. And so I think there can be a kind of, um, a kind of flight from the real problem, the real challenge, um, simply but kind, kind of by getting distracted by the question of, of origin. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, I, I confess I oftentimes find the, the explicit accounts of, of these origin stories to be useful myths um, that, that don't seem to me obviously different or obviously more sophisticated than, uh, you know, Aeneas fleeing Troy or, uh, you know, any other uh, civilizational origin story. Yeah, that's the, uh, the I just wrote on the Schelling's uh, tracing of, you know, Hegel's, if you, if you run Hegel backward, <clears throat> you know, Hegel is obviously moving forward that Geist and God is going to come to himself through history. Well, do a Big Bang cosmology on that, and you can run it backward and find the origin of God. Well, yeah, you're just back to some sort, some form of myth uh, that in, in some way points out the, the kind of ridiculousness or inadequacy of a, of a, of a purely materialistic or atheistic uh, problem. So, so that, yeah. Now, now I, I, th- I think the theological claim... So, I, so I've, I've, uh, I've, I've sort of said, I don't know that I've really argued for it, but I've at least made the claim that there's a kind of residual classicism in most of these seemingly empirical accounts of culture. And that there's an instability in, in um, 
modern attempts to maintain the integral plurality of culture. But I think you can also make a theological claim, which is to say that, um, that the introduction of world transcendent meaning in the historical incarnation, uh, that, that world transcendent measure can now be measured by the life of this one person in this time, in this place, and in this cultural situation, uh, that you, you can derive from that um, universalist rather than aristocratic notions of value, uh, that you can derive from that uh, an emphasis on the concreteness of history against um, various forms of idealism, or, or in Hegel's case, really logic. Uh, and so there's a, there's a theological version of historical consciousness or historical culture, or the historical notion of culture, um, that emphasizes the respect in which um, because world transcendent measure has become historical, the, the historical has been made uh, a, a vehicle for the communication of that world transcendent meaning. And if that is the case, then there is an exigence toward um, real post-classicist, uh, post uh, aristocratic accounts of meaning and value that um, are, a, are a consequence of a, of a purely imminent approach, but are difficult to maintain from within a purely minute, uh, imminent approach. Now, I think these things can work in tandem together. The, uh, a, a more philosophical and a more theological version of historical consciousness can uh, truly inform one another. Um, but I think the theology has something unique to say to this question that um, goes beyond the, met the methodological limit of, of a purely scientific or eth ethnographic or even philosophical account of culture. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, the city of man, city of God, that in some way, uh, that, that isn't it what we're describing is the city of God isn't built on a cloud, the city of God then is, is the transformation, it is the redemption, it is the salvation uh, of people and the, the, the cultural context of which they're a part, so that to imagine that redemption is you know, anything other than souls being snapped, you know, uh, that in some way it is that culture itself, not that culture is redeemed, but that redemption is cultural. It is obviously the, that it is a taking up of uh, the culture that, uh, that we're all, you know, that's who we are. That's, that's what we're very much the means of uh, the medium, the, the mode in which we have our existence. Uh, but, but that then is, is what is described in, in the New Testament as redemption. It is being carried over from one city to another. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't, in other words, you've got, you, you can't uh, say that, and I assume that's what you're doing. In other words, that, um, that you can't in some way simply 
uh, pictures uh, redemption as floating free of that, but nor can you see it. In other words, the point is not to redeem culture uh, in, in the sense that culture is fallen, right? It's not cultures. Sure. Uh, well, uh, and and um, I mean, I, I, I also don't want to lose track of the respect in which it is the the lives of individual people that are the originating values that that um, become distributed within a cultural network that that um, cultures are shared meaning and meanings and values but they're shared by people uh, they're shared by individual persons um, operating under the constraints of their own biography. Um, and so there's a, there's a, a reciprocity between these sort of uh, units of meaning and value. Um, now, the, the question is, what happens when uh, world transcendent meaning enters in to those relations of reciprocity? Um, I, think, I think there is... A, a normative order or a scale by, of, of values um, in which vital and social and cultural and personal and religious values are all organized relative to one another in terms of a, a scale of value preference. But, and, you can do, and you can run that analysis from the bottom up. And, and recognize the way in which these, these different um, units of value and these different structures of value intervene upon one another, where the, the, the problems of, of social order call for the emergence of new sets of meanings at a cultural level in order to solve, and so on and so forth. But there's also a bottom-down form of this analysis in which you're asking the question not how, of how do originating values um, organize themselves in this scale from the bottom up or from the inside out, but what happens when world transcendent meaning and value enters into it from the top down? Uh, what happens when grace transforms a heart of stone into a heart of flesh uh, what does that do to the authenticity of, of individuals as originating values that lead to different forms and different kinds of, of cultural situations and thereby to different possibilities within the social order? So um, I, I don't, I don't want to introduce any kind of um, an antagonism between a bottom-up and a, and a top-down approach. What, what distinguishes them is, uh, is a disproportion, uh, an entitative disproportion of the orders um, that we're talking about, that one is proportionate to what human beings are and what they might become, and the other is supernatural, right? The other is a communication of the divine nature that is by definition um, beyond not just human frailty, but human qua human. And so that's what makes it world transcendent. And so that's what makes the possibilities that it opens up for human living um, more than what even um, the most authentic forms of human living could make possible. 
that but nonetheless that that i mean when you talk about world transcendence uh that for it to be communicated to the world though it's always going to be uh communicated in a particular situation uh to a particular people through oh, a, through a particular cultural understanding and and there are there are sort of uh different modes of this divine self-communication, right? So, you know, obviously the incarnation is, uh, it doesn't get much more cultural and historical and concrete and, uh, you know, Christ lives in a place and, and does so at a time. Um, and yet, you know, the, the hypostatic union is a communication of the divine nature, but so too is sanctifying grace. Um, that that uh, makes it makes itself at home within us. Now we ourselves uh, are subject to all those circumscriptions of time and place, and so the the, the way in which uh, sanctifying grace is is um, at work in our actions uh, and their effects, our actions and and their effects occur within a within a cultural and social location. And so there will be social effects, even of, of grace. The, a, a way, Edwards, when we talk about plurality of culture, there can't be an absolute, per, that plurality cannot be an incommensurateness of culture. Uh, that, uh, that obviously there is a, you know, when you're talking about a unified origin, not that that's uh, uh, definitive, but that in some way, because Christ came, and because he came in a particular sociocultural context, the presumption is that there is not an incommensurateness. At the same time, there is a plurality of cultures, and we understand that what this, how this is going to be understood and conceived in, in various times and places may vary, but not in some absolute, I mean, because it is cultural, uh, it it uh, translates into all cultures. Yeah, I mean, my my point simply would be that um, that often in the past one looks for that um, that normativity within culture itself, and I think that is a fool's errand um, because in every case, what's going to happen is that w- whatever the pe- peculiarities of your own cultural situation, you will imagine them as universal, and thereby they will become the measure. So the, the normativity of culture doesn't lie in culture qua culture. It, it lies within the dynamism of the human spirit. That the thing that all cultures have in common is that uh, they are the, the, the facta. They are, the, they are made by men and women. Um, they are the result of acts of meaning and acts of value and acts of decision and responsibility that persons in their own authenticity or inauthenticity take up. And so there, there is a normativity embedded within cultural situations, but that normativity is not cultural form. That normativity is the dynamism of the human spirit itself, which is transcultural and permanent and universal, etc. Let me see if I, uh, that, uh, uh, would you agree that human failure that the the human predicament, the human problem, 
though it may manifest itself in an infinite variety of ways, reduces to a singular thing. I mean, I, I think that could be a hypothesis, but then you'd have to verify or falsify it. Isn't it the case that whatever this thing, sin, is, that Christ has come to address, and not to limit it to that, but the predicament or the problem that he addresses, uh, presumably, is a shared problem, is a universal problem. Yeah. Uh, that so that that uh, when we talk about uh, you know the plurality of cultures and cultural difference, obviously I spent twenty years in Japan. I understand that the, that the way this all works itself out in any particular cultural understanding is going to be very different. But you know, just even notions of of what's wrong with people, or but the the claim is that and that's been my own work, is, well, no, I think we can actually in some way locate this. And what you're describing, though, is, is something beyond that, that, that what Christianity is, what the human spirit is. Uh, yeah, we might presume, presume a universality to the predicament and the problem, but culture, by that fact, is not a limiting uh, you know, parameter in 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 uh, in other words, the city of God, the uh, the eternal really can inhabit uh, the finite. Yeah, you know, I I think it's easy um, it's easy to imagine cultural plurality as an effect of sin to to take the story of Babel and make it the the story of 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 cultural pluralism, um, and I think this is just a grave mistake, um, and and it's a mistake that I think has really disastrous consequences because because invariably you wind up saying that um, all the other cultural situations except my own are are you know the the, the builders of Babel who've been sent out to the wilderness, confused in their language and so confused in their expression. Um, and and I, I think it's precisely that kind of thinking that theology needs to, and, and frankly, all, all forms of inquiry need to uh, purge um, from their vocabulary, purge from their psyche, uh, certainly purge from their... Uh, their ways of, of organizing uh, their own guilds um, because that's an evil way of thinking. Uh, it's, it's a way of thinking that reduces um, difference to sin um, and that uh, covers over not, not just the sinfulness of one's own uh, orientation, but also covers over the, the peculiarity of one's own situation. And once you do that, you've just you just sort of lost the plot, and you're not really talking about culture anymore because you're not talking about the concrete. So that that I mean, this is uh, at least this is my reading of philosophy. That philosophy has been a continual inquiry into how it is that language per se, or or, or human understanding per se, can storm the heavens. 
it has been a kind of babble project, and of course the the, the recognition in a in a I mean that's the 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 postmodern or you know the the Nietzschean and and Heideggerian recognition uh, is that that in in some way that language per se uh, I, I mean that I think that's Heidegger's failure is that in the end he's just one more babylite uh, imagining that the blood and soil of Germany is going to be adequate for heaven, uh, adequate to convey. That is that that what we need is is uh, something to break into culture, something that to break into the human the human situation, and so. The, I, I assume that's what you're describing is that there is a kind of, of uh, we, we all uh, uh, imagine that we stand at the pinnacle of, of culture or development. Yeah. I think I probably have a, a slightly rosier view of the classical tradition than you do. But, uh, but yeah, I think in the broad strokes, I, I think we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, I, I get pretty dark. <laughs> Um, and, and this is, I mean, this brings us to uh, Bernard Lonergan and the whole, uh, the, the thing that I understand about Bernard Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.